1: Most, not all, but most of the crowd still here. They run out of baseballs. Home plate umpire Michael Durant is asking for more and has those now. Morehouse took his time, stepped off the back side of the mound, onto the grass, now back up on top of the hill. Zane leads in for the sign out. No balls, two strikes, two outs. Morehouse, the stretch, and the 0-2 pitch to Cason Wells. Strike three called. Got him looking, and the ball game is over. Nightmare comes through with another save, a six-out save, and the Longhorns have beaten the Aggies for the first time in five years. They come to College Station and knock off Texas A&M. Final score, Texas 5, Texas A&M 2. Not only the uh, first win over Texas A&M on the baseball field in five years, and that sounds – a lot more prolific than it is since they're only playing one time a year, other than in uh, in Omaha at the College World Series, being a headliner, of course. Uh, but uh, the first time they'd won in College Station in 12 years. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049-1019-AM1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. My name is Craig Way. Glad to have you with us. And uh, Jeff Howe will be along shortly. Uh, Glad to have uh, those of you listening Hmm. online at hornfm.com and on the app. And those uh, viewing us on uh, Twitch and the YouTube channel, glad to have you as well. Our producer, Cameron Parker, joins us. And, uh, Cam, how's uh, your day off and running? It's always going to be a good day when you beat the Aggies, Craig. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Uh, Well... You know, it was, it, it's always a very vibrant atmosphere over there, always. And if you haven't been to a game at what is now called Olsen Field at Bluebell Park, I um, uh, owe it to yourself, especially if Texas plays over there, because uh, uh, the way that, that now. The students and the Aggie fans who do a lot of the chanting and the things like that, that happens no matter who the opponent is. But it's probably even more ratcheted up. In fact, I know it is uh, when Texas plays. And when it, when it got pretty interesting there in the ninth, where the first two guys are on with a walk and and hit by a pitch, all right, and uh, you know, and then it's the ball four, ball five, and it's almost in unison when it goes to the next ball, ball six. I mean, that that's impressive what they did. What was also impressive was the way that Texas, for the most part, uh, when the uh, fans would start to get pretty amped up and rowdy and all that sort of stuff, when it would happen. The Longhorns would come up with a big play, either in the field, they had a 4-6-3 and a 6-4-3. Well, they had a three unassisted uh put out at first three six double play. That was big. They also had uh a six-four-three double play, and uh, what could have been uh, perhaps the best play of the night. One of the best but there were two plays that were outstanding plays. One um when uh Trevor Warner hit a ball to the gap. Uh, in deep right center, and Dylan Campbell came up with it and fired it into Mitchell Daly, He'd gone out to get the relay, got it, and Werner tried to stretch it to a triple, and Mitchell Daly threw a strike to Peyton Powell, put the tag on him, 9 six, five. That was a big out there uh, to end the inning, uh, the fourth inning, I believe. And then uh, there was a play made in the seventh, by Jared Thomas, where he, like I think on the highlight, I said you talk about the tall drink of water climbing the ladder. He's a big dude and had to leap high in there to keep that ball from getting down the line for extra bases and came down. So anyway, it was uh, it it was a really uh, enjoyable as it always is uh, atmosphere, lively atmosphere last night. Uh, also liven extra livened uh, by. The uh, partial streaker is what I'm calling it. Not, not, because uh, the streaker wasn't full on our, uh, you know, star craving uh, Buck Creek naked, you know. Some, some, and Rod Babers and I used to have this discussion a lot is it buck naked or butt naked? And found out we did some research on that either is acceptable. I've heard so, buck wild before. Yeah, yeah. But I always remember, um, uh, uh, in that, what was it in the, in the movie "Paint Your Wagon"? Lee Marvin saying to his wife, "You mean she took a bath in the stream or something, You mean naked? You mean Stark Raven Buck Creek naked? <laughs> that, that sort." Of, he wasn't that. Uh, he and uh, he, he was he was uh, in shorts and a t shirt, and he kind of dropped trial a little bit when he was running to do a little bit of a, a mooning act. Uh, but the best part of it was the Darth Maul mask. The dude was sporting. Uh, so t- for the texter said, so we need to hear your call. Stay tuned. Inconceivable is just around the corner. So uh, that that call will be there. Uh, and in fact, uh, in reference to that call, none other than uh, my esteemed co-host, who is uh, here with us now, actually texted me right after that happened in the description that we gave at the time of of uh, what happened uh, with that and um he wanted to find out as well so that's why um like i said the timing is good here as my co-host the pride of northwest williamson county and a uh, proud graduate of florence high school be
0: something better from northwest williamson county than than me there's got to be something better that's come out of that part of the the region. I don't know. D Boons, maybe? Something.
1: Somebody's got to have something. I I know, for now, you're still the pride of Northwest Williamson mm, County. Uh, and a, uh, and a uh, proud graduate of Florence High School. And uh, you know him best for his outstanding work at Horns twenty four seven. That's uh, Jeff Howe, who texted me right after <laughs> the partial streaking incident. In fact, I should—I'm I'm, going to pull up the action. I'm going to read the text. Oh yes, please that you do. Said. The, the actual text. A nice,
0: it's a nice—it's a nice uh, throwback. to it something else you were involved in?
1: Um. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> the, the the at seven thirty, the text was there a disturbance on the field,
2: <laughs> and
1: my answer was partial streaker. And then you sent me a uh, a, a GIF of of uh, Steve Carell <laughs> as um, as Michael from The Office um, <laughs> with the with the cringe look on on his face. There. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was fun last night. You've been over there for games. You know what that's like. Oh uh, yeah,
0: it's 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 fun. I'll, I'll give Aggies this: uh, the ball five, ball six chant. I can t- I can stomach that a lot more. Than, it's very
1: well choreographed because as yeah. soon as the pitch misses outside the zone, I mean they're all in unison. Ball four, and then it's ball ball five, ball five, then ball six. So there was that.
0: I stomach that a lot better than I do whenever we go to Texas OU and the national anthem plays, and instead of home of the brave, as soon as it and the home of the and every OU fan in the Cotton Bowl just yells Sooners, and it just makes me really want to just punch someone in the tenders. It gets gets on my nerves.
1: <laughs> um so, anyway, it was um uh it was pretty interesting and uh uh it always is at at, at that point <laughs> and and uh it was fun. It was it it, it was uh fun. Um the Colonel Craig Flowers says you got to come back to the streak song. Oh yeah, by uh uh by uh, Ray Stevens there. And again, we're discussing um, you know, out and out uh you know, completely naked streakers. But this guy was not that. Uh, so anyway, we'll have more on that coming up. Ray in Stevens. I
0: almost said Lee Stevens <laughs> from a former Ranger. Great. Yeah,
1: there you go. Uh, but uh, we'll we'll um, we'll have that. Here's here's the thing that's uh, just kind of popped up. I just feel compelled to mention this. Um, behind us. I guess it was an SEC Network documentary. might have been on ESPN, two. It's about uh, the history of SEC basketball.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched some of that.
1: Uh, have you? Yeah. It's several parts, isn't it? I think it's like six. Yeah. Five uh, or six. Yeah. So there was there was one portion, and it was showing like in the early 80s when LSU uh, had the, the, the great run. And I'm not talking about the 80-16 that was an 11 seed and got to the Final Four. Not that one. Yeah. Um, uh, that got to reunion. I was talking about with the uh, the freak defense and all that stuff. No, the the eighty one team that had um, Dwayne Scales and Rudy Macklin was a really good team. Got to the final four. Now they uh, they got hammered pretty good by Indiana and Isaiah Thomas in the semifinals, and then Indiana beat North Carolina in the national championship game. But I always remember that after after the game was over and they had lost in the semifinals. Remember in those days, they played a third-place game, a consolation game, a yeah. third-place game. And the day of the national championship, this is 1981, the day of the national championship game, North Carolina's to play Indiana, and LSU is to play Virginia in the third-place game because North Carolina had beaten Virginia and Ralph Sampson in the semifinals. Al Wood had like 39 points in the semifinals uh, for North Carolina, and... They're going to play Indiana for the national title, but first there's going to be this third place game between LSU and Virginia, and that's the day that President Reagan was shot uh, by John Hinckley Jr. And so there was all the concern uh, about the health of the president and getting him to the hospital and all this live coverage going on, and it's, you know, then it's, uh, you know Frank Reynolds at the desk when they had conflicting reports. I always remember him pounding his fist on the desk, going, "Let's get it nailed down," you know. And he just kind <laughs> of that that thing when they didn't have all the all of the uh, information on that. So uh, all of that's going on, and there was discussion about whether to even play the national championship game, let alone the third place game. So they asked Rudy Macklin of LSU, uh, "Do you think you guys should be playing?" A game, you know, on the day the president got shot? And Rudy Macklin's answer was, Why not? He ain't no kin of mine. That was the, <laughs> that was the last year they played the third place game. <laughs> the third place game went away after that.
0: By the way, what a cool final four logo that was. Oh yeah. Yeah, the like the Liberty Bell looking yes, logo. Absolutely, yeah. in eighty one. They don't do that anymore. No. Well no, they do for the yeah, Final they, Four. Yeah. For the Final Four they do, yes. Yes. For the Super Bowl, they
1: stopped doing it. That's right. Final Four does have logos. And, uh, and, and, and anyway, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was quite the, uh, it, it, it was quite the tournament, uh, that year. So, anyway, th- those were some, some, uh, things that came to mind as we mentioned. And of course, you've got the Final Four going on this weekend. And I heard Aaron talk about it. there's a lot of people who just don't have much interest in it because you have no one higher than a four seed. Um, you know it, the the narrative has long existed that cbs more the cbs turner uh, family more than anything else wants the blue bloods largely the blue bloods in the final four to help for ratings they love having the cinderella stories um you know they love the the uh, fairly dickinson uh, upset of Purdue. They love that in the first round. They love the 15s beating the 2s in the first round and maybe even to the second round, but they want that to kind of dissipate when you get to the Sweet 16 and the Blue Bloods emerged. The closest thing you really have to a Blue Blood is UConn. Yeah. And, and of course, they won a title in 2014. That was one that was – wasn't it vacated? That was the one uh, – No,
0: you're thinking Louisville in uh, 13, 2013. 13,
1: 13. In 14, though, um, I'm thinking of the the fact that, yeah, they had trouble with the program, but uh, no uh, title vacated when when, uh, they won that. But you're right, Louisville did have uh, the title vacated in 13. So it's the closest thing, really, to a blue blood there because Miami's never been there before. Obviously, FAU has never been there before, and San Diego State has never been there. So you have three first-timers. And UConn, and UConn's really playing the best basketball going into that Final Four. So there's there's a lot of talk about that. I, I'm i a person who always – I like seeing uh, the Cinderella teams advance to the Final Four. I mean, Jim Laranega getting Miami to the Final Four, and like we said, that was our um, Leaf Johnson-Ford return of the week because it's the second time – He's taken a team to the Final Four for its first ever appearance in the Final Four, the first, of course, being George Mason back in 2006 when they beat all those blue bloods along the way, uh, including beating, I guess, North Carolina in the Sweet 16 and then beat Georgetown in the Elite Eight to get to the Final Four uh, before they lost to Florida, who ended up winning the national title. So... Um, I I don't have a problem with the with the Cinderellas getting there. I'm I'm okay with it. now. I'm going to be busy Saturday night because Longhorns have a six o'clock first pitch Saturday night in Stillwater. It's not a Saturday afternoon game. So as Roger Wallace and I were talking about, well, no Final Four for us, you know, or very little of it anyway. Maybe in the second game, but not so much in the first game. After that, and true to what I thought also, Jeff, that if if Texas had beaten Miami, they would have been in that nighttime contest. Against UConn, it would have they would have put that game in the nighttime. Right, they ended up doing it anyway, with it being UConn and Miami, mm-hmm. with FAU and San Diego State in the first game.
0: Are you sure UConn's not a blue blood? Have yeah. they earned that status?
1: Well, they they'd fallen off. That was the thing. They had a, they went through a period
0: the Four national championships.
1: Yeah, but uh,
0: five Final Fours. This is their sixth. Yeah, it
1: reminded me of the New York Giants, where they're just kind of toiling in mediocrity, and they have one, two, or three years where they just make it all the way to the top. Yeah, and they, you know, they went through the big thing, the really ugly thing with Kevin Ollie, and the and and uh, the firing, and the lawsuit, and all that other kind of stuff. They, it was, you know, they'd kind of fallen off, you know, the map a little bit, but they are back, and and I think people could make a case for it. I think you could. It's just it's been a while since they've been that nationally relevant, I think, at least to that level. Somebody on Specs text line says, won't be turn- tuning in for the rest of the tournament. Highlights will do. Bummer. Well, again, that also, I think, depends on your level of fandom when it comes to college basketball.
0: Yeah. I think Miami-UConn has a chance to be a hell of a game. Uh <laughs> FAU, San Diego State, and it's no, it's nothing against the teams or the brands.
1: No, but I think that could be a good game too. But I think that
0: style of basketball is just—it's going to be really hard to watch. Like that's probably a first one to fifty
1: wins. It was kind of like the North Texas, Wisconsin NIT semifinal last night. I watched
0: about uh, two or three minutes of that last night.
1: I had it on in the booth, obviously on my laptop, being a North Texas alum, and. It looked really, really bad in the first half. They're down 12 of the half, 41-29. You think about the fact that Wisconsin scored all of 13 points in the second half and went the final nine minutes and seven seconds without scoring. Every time I looked over, you know, like during a uh, an inning break or a pitching change, and there were a lot of pitching changes last night yeah. in that Texas-Texas yet Texas so we'd be in a break, and I'd look over, and Wisconsin was still at fifty-four points. I'm like, "What is going on here?" And and I'd remarked to Keith Moreland during one break earlier on, I said, "It's not going well for North Texas." And all of a sudden, Keith said, "I I, I was so trained in on the game, I didn't notice." And all of a sudden, Keith said, "Well, your alma mater's coming back," and I looked back, and there it was. It was fifty-four to fifty. I guess it was. I was like, "Holy cow! Where'd that come from?" And it's uh, Grant McCaslin does preach defense, and they do play really, really, really good defense. So if he indeed winds up being the new head coach at Texas Tech, as many have speculated and surmised, uh, it's going to be a lot of defense going in there. Sometimes they do struggle to find their offense, uh, but they found enough of it down the stretch to outscore uh, the Badgers 10-zip to, um, to, uh, to win that game and get to the NIT championship. What a um, what a year for Conference USA. You have Florida yeah. Atlantic, who's in the Final Four. You have not won, but both of the teams in the NIT championship, North Texas against UAB, are from Conference USA, the second- and third-place finishers. And then the fourth-place finisher, Charlotte, won the CBI. That's so, right. So it's quite – now – Is UNT going to the American next year? And so is it's, UAB. Yeah.
0: And so is FAU.
1: And, and – uh, no, not UAB. I said UAB was FAU. You're right. Those two are both going. So, um, yeah, it's um, – Big night for Conference USA and maybe also for uh, what's to come in the future for the American Athletic Conference. So that's there's that basketball still going on, uh, but I, I get it I, when when some folks um, you know said you know not, they don't have that much interest in the Final Four. And again, I think a lot of that has to do with your college basketball. Fandom, uh, here's a here's a really good point uh, brought up on the Specs text line. If you take away an eight-game stretch, which, by the way, that's a fourth of your season, but <laughs> if you take away, remove that eight-game stretch, <laughs> UConn was arguably the best team <laughs> in the country this year. Remember they started, I think, 14-0? Um, I know it doesn't work that way, but outside of that funk, they only lost two games. They blew out Alabama and some other good Big East teams. They're the real deal. They they have not lost to anyone outside of the Big East or outside of the American. You know they no, they're have, in they the have Big not, East. UConn's in the Big East. Yeah, in the Big so. East. Yeah. That's what I meant. They have not lost to anyone outside of the Big East. So um, having you know that's that's why uh, it's. It, it, and I know that, that sounds a little bit like, otherwise, how'd you enjoy the play, Mrs. Lincoln, mm. when you when you say, if you take away an eight-game stretch, that's a fourth of their season. But they weren't the a funk, as the as the texter pointed out. It was a funk. But they climbed out of it. And if you ask uh, Dan Hurley, the coach, Danny Hurley says, uh, we just, you know, we got away from doing all the things that were right. And, and you hear coaches say that a lot. I heard Rodney Terry say it an awful lot as well. Uh, about when you get away from doing the things that they did that made a difference, that's, you know, that uh, you go back to doing a lot of those things and you've got the talent and skill level, then then you have a chance to be really good. By the way, the Big East, you look at that league, mm-hmm. you know, Marquette was
0: a two seed. He got bounced in the second round. Xavier made the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. Creighton made the Elite Eight. You've got UConn yeah. in the Final Four. It's not a bad year for the Big East.
1: No, no, and and I thought all season long the Big East was certainly one of the better basketball conferences in the country. Um so anyway, so there's there's that. All right. Um what we do have coming up, we have our Longhorn notebook. Now um we're gonna re air because I know a lot of folks didn't get a chance to hear and ask if they could hear uh the conversation that I have with Rodney Terry uh after the news conference have that. Did you have some other sound you were hitting up, Jeff, on that? The uh Uh
0: I wanted to get some football in yep. in the notebook. So yep.
1: We haven't, so, haven't done that in a while. Yeah, we're going to do that. In fact, why don't we go ahead and, and do the interview thing with uh, Rodney right now, and then we'll hit the break, and then we'll have the uh, notebook, and um, and and then Jeff will be able to comfortably be able to work in all of the football, because it is important to mention what was spring practice uh, going on. So uh, after the news conference yesterday, which you heard live, you're uh, on the horn, uh, I was told, and sure enough, I was told uh, you may need to fill a little bit Uh, There were some people that Rodney had to visit with immediately after uh, the press conference, uh, university officials and things like that, and a lot of congratulatory comments. So I was told you might need to kind of fill it just a little bit until we get there. So I let uh, Chad Hastings and uh, Isaiah Collier know that Chad and Zay, their program would probably start before the one-on-one, but that Rodney would be coming over, and they were like, that's fine. Just let us know when he's there, and we'll send it right back to you. So that's exactly what happened, and here's how it happened. Remember uh, what we talked about, about how Rodney uh, was a uh, young assistant coach for Zay's dad, the legendary CeCe, Celester Collier at Bowie. So that's what this lead-in is when RT joined us, And Zay and Chad were also on the mic with us from here in the studio while uh, Rodney and I were down on the UT campus. Craig Way is still over there at the press conference, and I am told that the new men's basketball coach at the University of Texas is also ready to do a little
2: one-on-one with Craig Way, which I think he's done before, but it'll feel a little more official. Gentlemen, how are you?
1: Good, and and since Rodney Terry is all about family, the first order of business is, is for him as the head coach of the University of Texas on this program is to say hi to Zay since he knew. How long have you known oh, man, Isaiah Coggins? I
2: know Isaiah Coggins call you since he was a little toddler running around
1: <laughs> so say you get the chance say to, to say hi to head coach Rodney Terry right now
0: coach love you so proud of you and so happy for you that you're representing the University of Texas hell of a season this year
2: and I know pops who we're going to have on the show in the hour he's very proud too well, I appreciate it. I mean, again, I, I, our guys just, uh, they did a phenomenal job this year representing the uh, uh, the University of Texas both on and off the court, and uh, uh, they've been nothing but a great example in terms of how you how you deal with adversity and you hit it head on and you stay the course.
1: Fellas, we'll uh, get you back to your program here in just a moment. Uh, I just wanted to take take a few minutes because uh, RT and I have done a few of these things uh, this season as, as well. You... Have uh, made it a point from day one, and and my wife Linda's favorite uh, phrase of yours is "live where your feet are." So you've had that as the message to the team all season long. Now you're living where your feet are as the head coach. Does the feeling uh, feel a little bit different?
2: Well, I mean, Craig, I've really tried to approach. uh, I I never forget when when everything you know happened. I got a chance to talk to Coach Bournes and. uh, it was right after the, the night we played Rice. It was the next day, and uh, he uh, he said to me, "Rt, you need to get ready to be in that chair, um, you know, for the rest of the season." And he said, "As you're sitting in that chair, you need to see yourself being the head coach at the University of Texas for the next 20 years." And uh, I never forgot that. In terms of your your approach and and uh, um, you know, every day in terms of how you how you go about your business
1: toward that end, uh, somebody had asked you about, well, Brock asked you about first order of business. He talked about players. I'm sure you had that in your mind uh, as well. But it is the first exciting order of business to sit down with those guys, not only because the season ended the other night, but now you as the head coach can actively discuss with them what the plan is going forward.
2: Sure. No, absolutely. I think uh, we got back that night. I think we got back about 1130 uh, after the ball game the other night and uh, got a chance to meet with the team very v- briefly there and share some things uh, uh, and put some things in perspective at, after our season, and I'll plane right back. And uh, uh, but I think to do it in a different setting uh, would, would mean a whole lot more. Um, I didn't want to keep the guys too long, but but I ran along some things that those guys had achieved, you know, this year, and uh, and how proud I was of of the way they carried themselves both on and off the court, and and. Uh, um, you know they had a lot to be a lot to be uh, thankful for and a lot to be proud of. I mean, third most wins in school history. You know, Elite Eight. You're right there on the brink of a Final Four. Uh, you won a Big Twelve Championship. You know, so just just so many things that uh, that uh, transpired during the season that they have a lot to be thankful for.
1: You brought up roster management, and certainly with guys who have eligibility to return, that's that's the thing. Are those separate individual conversations with those guys to to see where they stand? with their own situation and and, uh, having the opportunity to return next season?
2: They are, and, uh, you know, again, Craig, this is something that uh – I mean, I was doing when I was back in Fresno. I mean, yeah, at the end of your season, you, all have to, you always have to keep recruiting your players, you know, because if you're not recruiting your players, somebody else is trying to uh, in, in the landscape of things that uh, we have in college athletics right now. So you have to spend time working with you guys and sitting down, especially at the end of the season, and, and really just kind of assess what type of year they had, what we still need to work on in terms of getting better and uh, uh, continue to, to hopefully have them bought into seeing themselves being successful at the University of Texas.
1: Uh, you were... Right at the forefront of the recruiting of Ron Holland and AJ Johnson. How good was it to hear Ron at the McDonald's All America press conference yesterday affirm? His his signing and his decision to be on campus and, and his support and excitement for you as the head coach.
2: Well, we're excited about both of those youngsters, both of those guys. Uh, the best basketball is way ahead of them, and they're they're incredible workers. They love being in the gym and they love working on the craft. And uh, you know, Ron Holland. Uh, you know, again, I've got a chance to recruit him from the day I took the job. We started recruiting Ron pretty hard, you know, and uh, we're fortunate to get him to, to join our family. And uh, you know, he's coming from a winning program. He's, all he's done is, is win everywhere. He's never been, and he's won multiple state championships. He's won USA basketball. He's a winner, and uh, he's one of those one of those youngsters that you're going to enjoy getting a chance to coach because he's so competitive.
1: Um, the The other thing that comes to mind is, and you, I know you were asked a, a little bit about it uh, about the staff thing. Are those also conversations you have individually with? Bob Donawald and Steve McLean all those guys who I know mean an awful lot to you and we've talked about all the the synergism that you guys had as a coaching unit is it is there a timetable in your mind over that sort of thing getting fixed so that you've got your guys you said, you mentioned you wanted to have your full coaching staff back next year.
2: Sure, I mean, you know, again, you always try to take a deep breath, you know, uh, probably immediately following the season, but, but, but we're gonna start having those conversations. We're already having conversations already because we're we're living in the portal right now already, so we're we're working already as you speak. I mean, last night, you know, yesterday was a great birthday, but I'm on the phone last night with top priority guys. We're trying to get out of the portal right now to try to try to to uh, to retool our team.
1: So there are conversations. I mean, you're already working uh, with regard to the examination of the portal right now. Sure,
2: no. No, oh, absolutely. I mean that that board's already started once the portal opened and we already had to have our you know analytics together in that regards. We obviously have to do our due diligence to make sure it's the right fit for us, uh, or individuals the right fit for us, but but no that's uh, that's already been in the works and uh, now it's about trying to target guys we feel like could be the best 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 fits for our program.
1: Will anybody see a different RT as the full time regular head coach? from the RT who was the interim head coach.
2: No, I think it's a you know, again, I, I think uh, I've had a chance to uh you just try to be the best version of yourself, you know, and try to be who you are, you know. Uh um, I like to think I'm one of those guys that don't get too high and I don't get too low. I try to keep an even kill and I try to instill that in our guys to try to to try to be everyday guys, no matter what's happening. You know, you don't know if you're having a good day or a bad day You know, but what really really is a bad day? If you wake up and you're alive and you have great health, it's a great day. You know, so uh, just just having an even keel uh, about yourself.
1: Okay. You're having a great day so far, so I'm going to let you continue (laughs) to go have a good day. Thanks, Archie. I appreciate it. Uh, Yeah. It was a great day for him yesterday. But, again, to be around that guy during the course of the season, he doesn't have many bad days. No. He has lots of good days. And uh, and it was cool. Uh, 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 I'm – happy for him you heard him talk about how you know not only wanting to make sure everything is stable in terms of his coaching staff but already those guys are deep into the portal examining what are the best fits for the team and who might they you know make overtures to whose names are already in the portal but possibly considering a transfer to texas I mean that's going on all across the country, so mm-hmm. no grass is growing under this coaching staff's feet.
0: No, and I think when you look at what's gone, like for sure gone, I think that's what you look to replace. You lose Christian Bishop, you need probably need to add another big. You lose yep. Timmy Allen, you can use a, a versatile front court guy. You lose Jabari Rice and Marcus Carr, even though with Arterio Morris and Tyrese Hunter coming back, you'd probably like another ball handler mm-hmm. who can allow those two guys to play off the ball. So, yeah,
1: it's a
0: year to your proposition, Craig. Roster-building in college basketball doesn't, yep. doesn't slow down.
1: Absolutely. All right, uh, coming up we'll have our Longhorn Notebook with football-related notes as well. We do have Inconceivable uh, coming up. And uh, a lot more here on Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049-1019-AM-1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.
2: Light the Tower.
1: Back there, a little Boston working for you there. It was right in my wheelhouse back then. It's one of those bands that hit two mega, the, f- the first album was mega, mega big, and then it was a wait of about two years before the second one came out, and it was big, but not as big, and it's just kind of faded away after That one. Uh, What was that noise you just made? It's supposed to be, if you read it in a book, P-F-F-F-F-T, dot, 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 you know, and then gone. Um, uh, Someone uh, uh, pointed out, and uh, how about this comp? See what you think about this. UConn basketball is like LSU football when it comes to the blue blood conversation.
0: Yeah, because it's kind of like, you know, Kentucky, Indiana, UCLA, that's 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 like old money. You yeah. know, LSU, uh, yeah, UConn's more like new money. So, yeah, I guess you could say that. If you look at the history of college football, you'd say like uh, Alabama, Notre Dame, uh, Texas, mm-hmm. uh, USC. That's like old money. LSU's more like new money.
1: Yeah, somebody said, I think they are because of the women's program alone. So, yes, blue blood. Different sport. I think there's... Tennessee is not a blue blood in college basketball. Tennessee women's basketball is blue blood.
0: For sure. That's, old, that's an old money blue blood.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, it's time now for our Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. So uh, so uh, football and, yeah. and uh, practices going on? Let's talk a little football. Uh, one of the
0: guys that's been kind of a a surprise performer this spring so far, and I can't believe we're already beyond the halfway point. We're kind of on the downhill run to uh to the spring game. Yeah. Savion Red's gotten a lot of buzz, Craig. And I want to go back to this cut just as a refresher. Again, I'm I'm spending the early part of this week just trying to refresh my football memory because I've been so basketball centric. But this was actually after practice one when you know Savion Red made the move to running back. Sark was asked, kind of his his vision for Savion Red, what does he see him? Does he see him as being a running back full time? Is he going to be more of a kind of an all-purpose type guy what does he see and this was sark's answer when he was asked about him well i think the one thing for Savion red that it's going to do he spent a year playing wide receiver for
2: us now we're going to train him at running back and the goal is that we have a guy that can do both uh that maybe we can um
0: put some pressure on defenses when he's on the field what where and what and how are we gonna be and what formations are we gonna be in? You know, we had a real luxury with, with Roshan and Bijan. Those guys were natural route runners and could catch the ball and were very smart and could line up all over the field. We like that in our offense. So we have to generate that, we have to recreate that different ways and this this is one of the ways that we can. Yeah. So and this kind of led me to something that you'll hear on Longhorn Blitz Podcast. If you're a podcast subscriber, uh you already got that. But if not, you can hear it tonight uh, after the Flex show here on the horn. But I was trying to think, and Rod said something during the podcast, Craig. He was talking about the offense. I've been thinking about the offense all wrong.
1: Yeah. yeah.
0: To this point in the offseason. I've been thinking of it in terms of is there a schematic change that Sark can make? Because it's all about how can you get the, like he just said in that cut, the production you've got from Roshan and Bijan. How do you get that? But at the same time, how do you move this offense forward? How do you take another step? Because if this program wants to get where it ultimately wants to get, which is it playing for a conference championship in December, you got to take it to an, to another level. You got to have that consistency that you lacked game to game last year. And I've been thinking, you know, is it a is it a schematic change? And Savion Red's part of that. Is is it going to more? Uh, you know, kind of positionless football. And, and Sark brought in Kyle Shanahan to speak at the clinic, and he's said, he's told us, uh, we've asked him on this show. You know who he studies, why he likes to study those guys. It's the Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan, Tree, Matt LaFleur, uh, Mike McDaniel, those guys that run that offense, he likes studying from it. And I've been thinking, okay, is, this, is it a schematic change? Is it a personnel change? And Rod said something that really clicked with me. And I know anytime we've talked about the quarterbacks this spring, not us, I mean the royal we in the media, not so much the local media. It's been more national. It's been and I even got asked in an interview this morning, Craig, with our good friend Tom Barfield up in Waco. Hey, who's going to be the starting quarterback for Texas when they open the season against Rice in
1: uh-huh. September,
0: too? I'm like, unless um, unless y'all know something I don't know, it's going to be Quinn Ewers. Uh, but and we talked about the need for the quarterback room to develop. But everybody's been looking at that quarterback room thinking, okay, it's it's guy, you know, who can push who, and then that's that's part of it. But I started thinking about When we've seen Texas quarterbacks, even the good ones, and the two that really stood out to me in my mind when I'm thinking about this were Sam Sam Ellinger and Vince Young. And those guys didn't really take off until the guys responsible for calling the plays really figured out what made them tick. Like what gets them going? What gets them in a rhythm? What gets them settled in? For Vy, it was just the need, the the ability to use his legs with the zone read and the ability to get out in the open field and run and be an athlete. For Sam, it was li- a little more of a, it was. I'm trying to figure the best way to put it because I botched this on the podcast mm-hmm. too. Uh, construct funnel his violent nature in a constructive way on the field, right? Like you remember Sam as a freshman just. Want to be out there in the open field just looking for contact and trying to bowl people over. Okay, well, you realize pretty quick as a quarterback, that's not a key, that's not a good way to have longevity at that position. So for Tom Herman, it was okay, we've got to run quarterback counters and quarterback powers. And. If he's gonna be a physical player, because we always talk about Sam having that linebacker's mentality, you gotta channel that in a productive way to where, you know, he's getting some contact, he's getting, you know, kind of getting in a bit of a lather, but you're not necessarily putting your quarterback at risk all the time. And I think that's really where I've been misdiagnosing the I don't want to say problem, but the issues with the Texas offense trying to get that consistency. I think it's about Steve Sarkeesian looking at his offense and not necessarily saying, How do I get that same production that Roshan and Bijan brought to the table and what are the ways to do that? I think the biggest thing you've got to figure out is what makes Quinn Ewers tick? What are the concepts, what are the things within this offense that he feels most comfortable with, that we feel like in an opening script against any front, any coverage, he can execute, he can get into a good lather, and then boom, you're off and running. Rod made this point on the podcast, and I totally agree with him because I did it too. I think Sark got so enamored... With the first quarter that Alabama game. Yep. And then when Quinn came back, what the Oklahoma game looked like, and just thought I mean, Quinn's talked about it. He thought he had it figured out after the OU game. I think Sartre probably thought, all right, my whole playbook is open. My offense is open. You know, I got the kid with the golden arm. He can make any throw in the book. Here we go. And it wasn't, obviously, we didn't see that from the midpoint of the season. But I go back to the bowl game and. Almost out of necessity, they had to go to some quick game in the second half. They had to get do stuff where Quinn could get the ball out of his hands quick and let his perimeter skill guys work. And that's when they started to move the ball. That's when you started to see some consistency on offense. And I think the other part of that too, Craig, we saw this from Casey Thompson in 2021. We saw this from Hudson Card last year when he was the starter. And we saw this from Quinn in the bowl game. We know Sark is never going to have a true, legit, bona fide quarterback run game in his offense there's he might have one or two things a quarterback sneak and maybe one other thing like a like a run run option for a quarterback but they're just not going to go zone read or be like tom herman was where your quarterback basically can function as a third ball carrier but what we saw casey thompson do you remember the play craig and i don't know you you've slept since then you remember the tcu game on the road in 2021 where Casey's rolling out, and there's just nothing but grass in front of him, Mm. and it's almost like he hesitated, and it's almost like you could see the wheels in his head turning, and he said, you know what? If they're going to give me 30 yards, I'm just going to pull the ball down and go. Mm -hmm. And he did. And we saw Hudson Card start to do that last year. Like, dude, if they're going to give you a first down, just go ahead and scramble for it. Forget trying to force a ball in where it doesn't need to be. Just run for it. And we saw Quinn do that in the bowl game with the Mm 13-yard scramble. And... I think that's part of it's two things. I think it's maturity of a quarterback, but I also think it's Sark saying, "Look, if you get a 13 yard gain or a 15 yard gain on Quinn Ewers throwing a beautiful ball to Xavier Worthy, that's great. But if he gets 15 yards on a scramble, what's the difference? You're still getting 15 yards. Like this goes back to that old the whole uh, to me what made the Air Raid offense great. You remember Mike Leach used to get scoffed at, like, ah, you don't run the ball, you're not physical. Well. If I throw a swing pass to and Henderson and it goes for six yards, what's the difference between that and lining up in the I formation and getting six yards? At the end of the day, it's still six yards. It doesn't really matter six how yards you and six get yards. it. It matters that you got it. So I think it's, it's on Quinn to notice those things, recognize those things, be willing to take those things. And it's on Sark not to establish a quarterback run game, but to really get your quarterback in a rhythm, get him comfortable so that when those opportunities to do things like pull the ball down and run do arise, he's not just sitting back there with happy feet in the pocket, scanning the field and just wasting time. He can, boom, pull the ball down, go and keep your offense on track. So. I just think it's getting Quinn comfortable and then, like we talked about with Quinn throughout the offseason, his maturity, his comfort level with the scheme. I don't think it's going to be some big schematic shift that's going to take this offense to another level and get you that consistency you're looking for. I think it's just going to be growth by the play caller and the guy throwing the football.
1: Yeah, it's a good way uh, to to think of it, no doubt about it. All right, uh, there's our Longhorn Notebook for uh, this hour. Coming up next, Inconceivable, a wide array of topics to get to when we continue with Light the Tower on the Horn, 1049-1019, AM 1260. We're live, local, and digital on the Horn app and in hornfm.com.
2: Light the Tower with Craig Way and Jeff Howe.
0: Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means.
1: Well, it means a great many things, I can tell you this, including... Including something from our friend John in the Bay, who just just a little while ago sent this. Ooh. Uh, so, whenever there's a bear story, we have to get to it. And uh, <laughs> I, I pulled this up that, that John in the Bay sent to us because I know how much it entertains <laughs> Jeff to see a bear. The bear just kind of emerging some from from water. Hey, how's it going? It's <laughs> really that's what it looks like. What up? Uh, This is a bear who's described as an escape artist bear from Missouri. Is headed for the Lone Star State. Um, And and, uh, there's going to be a moat that will try to keep him from getting out. St. Louis (laughs) Zoo cited the, quote, specific and unique personality of the Andean bear named Ben in announcing the move yesterday. His soon to be home at the Gladys Porter Zoo. That's near South Padre Island down in Brownsville. Uh, by the way, that's, you know, you've heard of Brownsville Porter, the high school. Yeah. It's Gladys Porter High School. There you go. The Cowboys. The, the more you Porter. know. Yeah. Uh, there's a Gladys Porter Zoo down there. Has a long history of working with Andean bears, bears from the Andes. You okay. Know. Uh, But they are adding some extra security measures. They said, we're confident it's going to be good for Ben, said the zoo's curator of mammals. Uh, He he gained notoriety back in February last month by busting out of his habitat twice. (laughs) Four-year-old, 280-pound bear tore apart some clips that attached stainless steel mesh to the frame of a door. He was recaptured before the zoo opened for the day. Then they added, like, zip-tie stuff. That's not going to stop a bear. No. Oh. Zip-ties? Really? You
0: know how you got the the zoologists that can, like, talk to gorillas and whatnot? Yeah. Like do something? Whispers. Which, uh-huh. Can... can you can do that with bears. I mean, I know Grizzly Man tried have that. Have to start them early, though. I think. Yeah, I know the Grizzly Man tried that.
1: And yeah, that didn't end. Well. It didn't end well for One yeah. Timothy Treadwell. What did they do in Cocaine Bear? Did they use zip ties in Cocaine Bear? Uh, or? Whatever they did, it I didn't still work. have not seen Cocaine Bear. Yeah. Okay. yeah,
0: I've been on the road, Cam. I've got <laughs> some time this week, though.
1: Well, the zoo workers also added zip tie-like attachments made of stainless steel that had 450 pounds of tensile strength on that. But he managed to escape through those about two weeks later. The zoo was open this time, but he was captured oh, no. less than an hour later on a public path. The a bear just coming down the path. The zoo, hey, you guys ought to check out the reptiles. Just talk, you know?
0: just talk to Ben and figure out what he wanted. Maybe he just wanted a hot dog or something. Something like that. Stand.
1: Well, he now lives in a non-public area of the St. Louis Zoo where he can move indoors and out and even splash around in a pool. While he awaits his mood, uh, the zoo's vice president of animal care, Regina Mosati, uh, said, He's so funny, so playful. We'd love to be able to keep him here, but he keeps escaping. So he's headed for you, Rio Grande Valley. Just letting you know. Just I
0: wonder what Ben's going to think about that moat.
1: He'll, well, he'd probably I mean, swim around in it, I bear, would think. Bears
0: can swim, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. had to be one hell of a moat. Well, you saw him there. That one photo of him—he was kind of swinging around, hanging, hanging. Uh, you gonna put out some
0: salmon in the moat? Give him something to do? Uh, Maybe that's what Ben needs. He just needs something to keep him occupied. Yeah.
1: Uh since, he's
0: got like a bear with on like ADD or something.
1: Uh, since we're uh, since we're on the subject of animals, uh, a new species of ancient beaver, uh, and uh, it's the beaver's name uh Well, I'll I'll tell you about what can, it, the real Cameron, name do is. Do you
0: know? Uh, can you tell me one interesting fact about the beaver? I don't think so. Okay, we'll just file this away. The beaver, as the late Greg Robinson taught us, is the most diligent worker in all of the animal kingdom.
1: It's true. Yes, it's true. Uh, this this beaver. Lived in Texas about 15 million years ago. Looked a lot like today's Texas beavers, except about 30% larger. Big old larger, kind of prehistoric beaver, right? So uh, it was discovered by researchers at the University of Texas who published their findings uh, in the Paleontologia electronica. So what have they named this beaver, you ask? Uh, Antheronymus Book a in other words, they've named the beaver after Bucky's. <laughs> <laughs> so they 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 these, named-
0: uh, these uh, the Texas beaver is uh, small, the kind of uh-
1: yes. This one they said was about thirty pounds larger.
0: Looking, it looks like a sick, almost
1: a sickly looking beaver. This beaver had uh, been around in Texas. They said they had beavers there for at least twenty-two million years. They had so the uh, the Bucky B U C C E E I <laughs> named after Bucky's the travel stop. I love it, man. In Texas, okay. Uh, a lot of folks want to know about this. Uh, happened last night, at College Station. And uh, I saw a, a, a disturbance on the field. I, it was, I saw a, a pause in the action. I was looking at the umpires, and then I saw why, because there was a guy running out onto the field. So this is how we called it last night. Uh, Keith Moreland joining me on the call of the Texas-Texas A&M game when they it looked like a student ran onto the field. He had it on a T-shirt and shorts and a Darth Maul mask uh, as he went uh, coming down the line from right field. What was amazing is nobody even moved
0: uh, all right to move toward him. Explain this to me. In the star in the Star Wars saga.
1: Yeah, Darth Maul. How spare
0: of a character is Darth Maul.
1: Oh no, no, he's pretty significant okay. in the in the in uh in the first one, and then you see him pop in again in the movie solo as as well. Okay. No, no. He's pretty formidable. So he's
0: a pretty pretty big player in the And listen, anybody who can
1: kill Liam Neeson's pretty good. Okay. You know? So just say it. Uh, But anyway, uh, so uh, this was the call last night as uh, this guy made his way onto the field. Time called again. Oh, we've got a fan on the field. That's what it is. Jim Schlossnagel pointed it out. It is a fan wearing uh, – he's going to go around in various stages of undress. See nobody moving to him, no security people. Now he's charging across center field. He made a big loop from first base out to third well he got no way to get out in center yeah he's heading toward the alley right toward the 400 foot sign and deepest center field trying to climb the wall that's not going to work trying oh wait here he goes got a leg over i'm also seeing some here comes security now Yep. heavy Uh, duty security Yep. and uh they will deal with him now uh he he came out and he was wearing uh what looked like if you're a fan of the uh, Star Wars uh catalog and the uh, Star Wars franchise a Darth Maul mask it's what I agreed with shorts and then uh revealed some of himself to everyone, and then went running across the outfield as the pitch goes down he and away. decided he wanted to go to jail tonight. Yeah. yeah, he, yeah.
0: I like how you, you quickly got back to calling balls and strikes. Yeah, there.
1: as the pitch goes flowing <laughs> away for a ball. Yeah, so this, yeah.
0: was not to, this was not nudity to the extent that you and Keith saw in Nebraska that one time.
1: No, this was just butt crack. I mean, okay. he just kind of <laughs> dropped the back part of his trousers about a third dropped, of the way he down. Didn't even,
0: it wasn't even a full drop nope. trowel. No, no yeah. it wasn't.
1: It wasn't like, and we proceeded to retell that story about the guy that uh, the student that ran out onto the field in 2005 yeah, there at Haymarket Park. Start Raven Buck Creek naked. No, see,
0: there's a difference, Craig. Naked is like when you get out of the shower. right? Naked. Naked is when you, you know, streak across a baseball field. Yeah,
1: nature's own. Yeah, right in front of everybody. Tempt
0: fate by trying to jump a chain-link fence on your way out. Yep,
1: yep, yep. And he did, and and he had uh, several senior citizens in those yellow security (laughs) cars, and nobody wanted to touch the dude. They were, like, backing off, and he would have gotten away with it had he just stayed crouched between parked cars a little longer, came out, They busted him. Found out later from a couple of Nebraska police officers, Lincoln police officers, who were in the uh, press box the next day, and they said, "Yeah." And we asked him, "Why'd you do it?" And he said, "It was a bet for an 18 pack." Said, "I think it was an 18 pack of Ice House." There you go. (laughs) I think it was (laughs) 18 pack of Ice House. Uh, to get that. That did not happen last time. I will also tell you this. I saw on Twitter what happened when he did scale the fence. And he impressed me that he was able to get over that 10-foot outfield wall. He got over that deal, and there were the police officers, and as soon as he hit the ground, they had their tasers drawn. See, that's a smart security force. Don't
0: expend your energy chasing the guy.
1: He's got to get out at some point. They just moved to the position, intercepted him, and the guy had the taser pointed on him. He's like, get down. He laid down on the ground. He complied. He put his hands behind his back. Um, so then they <laughs> took him downtown after that. All right. We're going to hour number two of Life the Tower coming up on the horn.